We're uh, having to kind of go with plan B today, as you know. And um, But, you know, nothing is a surprise to our Lord. And He is able to make all things abound. And so we're going to trust Him with that. I remember uh, one time I went horseback riding on one of those rented horses. Rented horses are... They're not the the best way to horseback ride because it's basically like riding an elephant. They just sort of grab the tail in front of them and just keep keep going. I tried to uh, grab the reins and get off the path with this horse, and it, it didn't want to do anything but stay on the path and follow the horse right in front of it. And one time, I literally grabbed... I don't know if you uh, know much about horses or have ever ridden a horse, but I pulled on the rein so hard to try to get this horse to turn. And finally, the best I could do was to get it to, to veer off the path for just a second and uh, go around a tree. And then it immediately got right back on the path and uh, felt comfortable uh, behind the horse in front of it. And, you know, I could have turned around backwards. I could have stood up in the saddle. Uh, there was no danger of, of getting off track with this with this horse. And after that, after that horseback ride, I got to thinking, you know, we are a lot like horses in that regard. We are creatures of habit. We love the security of our predictable routine. I mean, what in the world do you do if for some reason Zoom isn't working on Sunday morning? All of a sudden, we've got to hit plan B, and <laughs> we don't like that. We like the predictability of a predictable routine. We're like the same old path, nice and flat. Don't ask me to go around any trees. Just let me follow the tail in front of me. Well, that's great, but uh, that's not God's plan. God isn't so content with the status quo. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the Lord likes to get involved with our lives. And his, his goal isn't uh, just to make the path smooth and, and easy. His goal is of course, is our sanctification, that we might be more like Jesus Christ. And that requires change. If we're to have any kind of spiritual growth, that requires change. The good news, though, is God is willing to accept us as we are, but he loves us enough that he won't leave us as we are. He accepts us as we are, but he won't leave us as we are. That is, that's good news on both counts. And one is very comforting that he takes us as we are, but the other, boy, that's hard when he changes and he gets involved in our lives to bring about change. The change that we welcome is the change that we initiate, like a haircut. Though, I'll be honest, for the last nine weeks, or maybe it's ten weeks now, uh, this is the first week that we've been able to go and get haircuts, at least professional ones anyway. We've had some uh, family botch jobs, <laughs> I guess, are better than nothing, but uh, just slightly better than nothing. Um, but it, I, got, I went to the doctor, the doctor, if, how Freudian slip, I went to the barber this week and uh, finally got a, uh, a haircut. And man, I'll tell you, I felt like Absalom after his annual cut. It was wonderful. 
But this is the uh, this is the change we like. Is the change we initiate. The change we don't like is the change that we don't initiate. And unfortunately, that is the often the change that causes us to grow spiritually. Well, let's look together at a passage in Scripture that occurred in the life of Jacob, and this is in Genesis chapter 46. I've been thinking about the next series that we're going to do, and I've also sort of been treading water trying to figure out when we're going to get back in class and exactly how things are going to work. But we are going to try the Q&A probably either next week or the week after that because um, we have a, uh, a Q&A, bunch of questions have come in, and that's great. After Dave sent out his announcement, I guess it was uh, Friday or Saturday, uh, we've got quite a few questions to, uh, to deal with, and some of these are tough. I was like, good grief, where are the softballs? You, you're throwing fastballs at me. But anyway, we'll do our best with it. And it may either it'll be either be this next Sunday or the following, because uh, in truth I had planned for something else for this morning, thinking that we were going to have video. But uh, without video, definitely what I was going to share today isn't going to work. So it's always good to have uh, a talk in the wings, and so this is my wing talk. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it'll work out. But Genesis forty-six, we're going to see God initiating change in the life of Jacob. Jacob, you remember, is that rascal in Genesis. He's the guy that uh, snuck the birthright, snuck the blessing from his brother Esau, and uh, ran off, fled into Padan Aram, and uh, got several wives, got a bunch of kids, and then God tells him to go back, and so he goes back to the Promised Land. And uh, he comes back into the Promised Land, and he settles in Shechem, and there's problems in Shechem, and so he works his way south. And now he is uh, he is at Beersheba, or at least he's uh, about to come to Beersheba. I think Jacob is actually in the area of, of uh, Hebron. And you know the story of Jacob's son, Joseph. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob, Jacob's other brothers were jealous of Joseph, sold him into slavery. Joseph is taken to Egypt and becomes, through God's providence and a number of events over the course of 22 years, Joseph becomes basically the vice president or the vice regent, you might say, of, uh, of Egypt. A famine comes. Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to get food. Lo and behold, it's Joseph who's ruling the nation. And uh, through a a great turn of events, Joseph sends his brothers back to get the father, to get uh, all the wives and children, and to bring them to Egypt for safekeeping during this time of famine. And that's where we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 46. Let's read the first few verses here and then uh, talk about how God initiates change in our lives. I love these verses. Verse 1 begins, So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. 
I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives and the wagons which Pharaoh had had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him. And, of course, the story goes on, as you know. Genesis ends with uh, God powerfully blessing the uh, Jacob as well as all his family as they sojourn in Egypt. But the change of getting Jacob to the point of where he would be willing to go was, uh, was what God was working through now. And we just read in these verses how God comes alongside us when he is initiating change in our lives. He doesn't just initiate change and then sort of um, say, hey, good luck with that. He initiates change, and then he also is walking with us hand in hand through the whole process. Uh, The verses we read talk not only about how God initiates change, but uh, how God comforts us. And so let's, uh, let's look at several of these principles uh, that uh, from the text here. Um, let me just say, there's a great, great quote by Eugene Peterson, and he is uh, paraphrasing from Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. And unless you've got the message there in your lap, it wouldn't do for you to turn there. So just listen to uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 8, chapter, uh, verses 29 and 30. He says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should look like, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had, what he had begun. Or to say in a more literal way, as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, that we can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the, the word here for will carry it to completion in the original language is literally, you could translate it, that he will fully complete. Just think about that. At one point in our future, there will be no more change. <laughs> because we will be fully complete. We will be as good as we possibly could be, which right now we are a long way from that. So God is committed to bringing change in our lives, and he does that through a couple of ways. First of all, he knows that we're, we struggle with change. As we saw here with, with Jacob, God had to had get involved and give Jacob a vision in the night to to alleviate his fear about going down to Egypt. And the story shows us, first of all, that God initiates change, first of all, through obvious circumstances where he alone gets the glory. God initiates change through obvious circumstances through which he alone gets the glory. Jacob, initially, he had disbelief, and it was turned into a great confidence that God was guiding. If we were to look back in the chapters prior to this, we would see a wonderful twist. When the brothers came back the first time, you know, the brothers went down to Egypt twice, and when they came back the first time, 
Jacob had kept one of the one of the brothers there basically as guarantee that that they would return and as every, every time these brothers come back Jacob has lost a son and Jacob makes the statement and says um, I, I've lost this son and I've lost that son and now you would want to take this other son from me everything is against me and here you see a, a man that's often like us as we look around at the circumstances in our lives. Yeah, a little cooler if you shut the windows. You know, just, you know, just shut the windows. Yeah. Just shut the windows. I might need to do the global mute again, Dave. And, uh, All right, let's keep going. So, God, through obvious circumstances where he alone gets the glory, this second trip down, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, then uh, all these wagons are sent back up with the brothers to bring Jacob down to Egypt. And Jacob looks at these wagons and he realizes it has to be the hand of God, that he realizes through obvious circumstances that God alone gets the glory. You think about, think back in your life, think back in the times of your life where, you know, you, I guess you could explain it as a coincidence, but it's just beyond belief that all these things would line up the way they did if God were not involved. Sometimes God works through very normal means to bring out very extraordinary results in our lives. So God works through obvious circumstances where he alone gets the glory. And secondly, God works through the wise counsel of others. That's the second way. He uses circumstances and he uses the wise counsel of others. And it's a principle that we see throughout the scripture. We see it in Proverbs, for example, where it says, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. That's Proverbs 15, 22. That if you want to know God's guiding and God's leading in a, in a situation that seems like God's calling you to bring about change in your life, look around, you see the circumstances, are they done in an obvious way where he gets the glory? And then secondly, what are wise people around you saying? Uh, do they affirm that this is God's leading? And then the final way, which is really, in a sense, the first way, and that is that God affirms it through his word, always assuring us of his presence. So through circumstances, through wise counsel, and through the scriptures, we can discern God's leading in our lives. So Genesis 46, we see several very specific things that God says to Jacob and Frankly, each of these is a timeless truth that we can hear as well. And I love the, the details of, of these verses. The principles are hidden in these verses that we read. Uh, well, I shouldn't say hidden, but they're there. But let's draw them out very specifically. Notice the first thing that uh, God says in verse 3. First of all, he tells Jacob, I am God. Now, it sort of seems obvious, you know, here's the Lord in a vision. But to just be reminded, I am God. 
I really have all this in my hand. I, I, I have everything under control. Don't be afraid to go. He says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. God is initiating change. God is leading the change. God's in control. He says, I'm God. It sounds simple, but how often we forget that. He is God. We are not. He is in control. We are not. That's why we can uh, don't have to be afraid to follow God when he leads us in a change. And by the way, Jacob, he was kind of an old man at this point. This wasn't God leading someone right out of college into a career. This was a man who, who was settled. If you read back through the story of Jacob's life, remember, he didn't go down to Egypt. He sent his sons. He didn't, send, he didn't go look for the, the sons. He sent Joseph to go look for him. This is a guy that sent others to do the traveling. Jacob wasn't a traveler. He, uh, he was settled, and he was rooted. And so when he gets to Beersheba, this is the place where he was raised, God shows up in a vision, and God basically says, uh, God basically says, look, you're going to... Uh, you're going to go down there, and I am God. And notice he also says, I will make you a great nation. God is not just looking out for Jacob, but he's looking out for the many millions that are going to come out, that are going to come as a result of this change. God's not only involved in Jacob's life, but he's using this change in Jacob's life for, to bring about a, uh, a great change in the lives of many others. And third, he says, God says, I will make you a great nation there. Not here. It's there. It's where God is leading you is where God wants to bless you. It isn't where you are. It's where God wants to take you. And I mentioned the fact that uh, Jacob was a bit, a bit older here because, you know, Look around at those, the rest of us that are in the class here with us. Most of us are on the backside of life. And so to look at, to look at Jacob and to think, wow, God is still bringing about great change in Jacob's life, he's doing that in our lives too. It may be a geographic move. It may be a financial move. Uh, it, it could be something with regard to health, uh, relationships. God is committed to change. And he uses these changes to cause us to grow. And the last one, the fourth one, I really love. He says, look at that. He says, I will go down with you. There in verse 4. I will go down with you to Egypt. God isn't just leading us and then saying, uh, hey, have a good life. He's going with us. It's like when Jesus Christ said, not only do, am I calling you to make disciples of all the nations, but I will be with you always. And I will send a helper who will indwell you, the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a matter of God leading, but of God going with us. So these four things that God said to Jacob, where he says, I am God, that's first of all, I will make you a great nation, or that is, I will, I will bless you, and as well as those that come after you. 
Third, I will take you there. It's where I'm leading you that I want to bless you. And finally, I will go with you. I will go with you. God is calling some of you, some of us, to to change. And we hesitate to obey God's call because, well, frankly, we want to be in control. We want to... Uh, We want to be that horse on the path that just follows the tail. And we don't like the guy riding our back who's got the reins. We we try to ignore that until God steps in in such a way that we can't ignore it. For Jacob, it was a famine. For Jacob, it was losing sons or having them threatened. For us, it's something different. But it is just as effective. God can get our attention in such a way that he is initiating change. And the good news is that he, he gives us these promises as well. He is God. He wants to bless. He's taking us where he wants to bless. And he is going with us. These are wonderful truths. And uh, they're comforting, aren't they? We need to hear them. Well, um, I don't know that there's an, really an opportunity here for us to do any questions here. But uh, so why don't we why don't we wrap it up there? Genesis forty six with Jacob's move to Egypt. How indicative how indicative of that is uh, God's working in our life? Let's pray. Our Father, we're so much like Jacob. This uh, this old man who was so set in his ways that was so fearful of losing his sons, fearful of losing his property. And it took the threat of those sons being lost and the threat of his livelihood and a famine that you brought to get to the heart of Jacob. Thank you for the gracious way that you led him and that you also communicated to him through more than circumstance, but you communicated to him through the word and the affirmation of the covenant to Abraham, and through the, uh, the encouragement of others, just like you do in our lives. Thank you for the promise that you're God, and that where you're wanting to take us is where you're wanting to bless us, and also that you promise to go with us. Lord, we love you and thank you for leading our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Dave and or Jerry, back to you. Amen.